What's going on, everybody? This is Jerome Moore, host and creator of Deep Dish Conversations. And firstly, I want to say thank you for all of support and thank you for exploring the perspectives of social change with me on this platform. I want to encourage you all to like, subscribe, and follow us on YouTube and on your favorite podcast listening platform. And make sure you give us a five-star rating if you're loving the Deep Dish Conversations. I appreciate all of the support again. I hope you all enjoy this episode. Seth, how you doing? Welcome to the platform. I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing good. You know, probably not as you know busy as you are right now, um, running for a criminal court judge, Division Six. Um, how do you feel about that? I'm, I'm excited to be running. I'm, I am very exhausted. It is a lot more than I ever expected. Uh, uh, living on coffee right now. <laughs> and so, like, it was a really like for most people running for like criminal court judge, Division Six. It was like kind of a like last minute thing right very much so and so uh, y'all only had what two months three months uh since february the 17th so yeah coming up over on, two months yeah or going on to two months so what so what made you go ahead and uh you know put put your petition in the run well you almost never see an open seat for judge i uh, when mark fishburne announced that he was going to retire that was the you know, get in with my wife, talk with her, you know, see, you know, is it the right time? Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about stuff and then talked about it with my girls who gave me some interesting answers. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and it just seemed, it lined up to be a perfect time to just get in there and go for it. Well, um, so tell us a little bit about your, um, your career uh, in, the, in the legal field. So I've been practicing for 11 years. Well, I've been licensed for 11 years. I've been practicing for nine years now. Uh, after law school, I went with Judge Thomas Brothers, who's a circuit court judge, for two years as a law clerk. Uh, after that, I actually went into private practice. So since then, I've represented over 1,000 people in actual criminal proceedings here in Davidson County, the juven- uh, sorry, in the criminal courts and in the general sessions courts. Ooh, that's a lot. <laughs> a thousand. That's 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 a lot of cases. What what was um you you're from Nashville, you know, um we're five generations in, you yep. know. Uh I'm somewhere around there too, somewhere. Four, three, five, somewhere, who knows? Um what inspired you, you know, growing up here in Nashville to uh want to get into the legal field? So I am a fourth generation attorney also on top of being a you had you had you, you had no choice um, <laughs> actually growing up they always told me you know don't go into law it was a, a across the borders don't go into law only go into law if you were truly passionate about it mm-hmm. um, because it is one of those jobs where it's going to consume you right uh, you take it home with you you think about different cases and Months after you've finished a case, you'll say, oh, I should have done this differently. Maybe that would have gotten a different outcome. And you second-guess yourself a lot. But it is something that you just you can't walk away from like right. you can with some jobs. Um, but growing up and being around it all the time, I saw people who approached me and told me how members of my family had changed their lives and how they were heading down a path and the ability to get into either drug court, which my grandfather started here in Davidson County, or the different uh, alternative sentences that my father, grandfather, great uncle, all were able to afford them by helping them out. Right. Um, it changed their lives and how it impacted them. 
And, well, as a young kid, I actually had two thoughts about what I wanted to do when I grew up. I either wanted to be an attorney or a priest, and <laughs> wow, <laughs> uh, I chose attorney. Uh, I started uh, in Catholic school, and uh, third grade switched to public school, so. All right. Wow. So, wow. Fifth generation Nashville, fourth generation Law lawyer in the law, yeah. So you everything was kind of just made out every. So every generation pretty much has been in the had some type of role in the legal system here in Nashville. Yep, that's crazy. Um, so what was so growing up right? Because people think about just like especially like we talking about running for a criminal court judge mm-hmm. and thinking of the criminal. You know, I, I refer to it as a criminal legal system. Say some say criminal justice system. Some say criminal punishment system. Yep. Um, what was your kind of perspective on the criminal legal system growing up, being around it, and you know, were you ever affected by it, it, it outside of your family being directly involved in in, in that sector? Personally, I was yeah. never affected by it. I, I believe my hope is that the people that have helped i've affected them Mm -hmm. and helped them make change in their life but there's a lot that i've seen over the decade that i've been practicing um, that has affected me in, in sort of my personal view of how the system works so many people, when I first started out, uh, along with taking uh, appointed cases, I did a lot of work for people who had lost their driver's license or had been uh, stopped with small amounts of marijuana or uh, little things, where so much of it was a system that poverty was causing them to not be able to get out of, right. uh, especially with driver's license cases. With driver's license cases, you see situations where one small infraction snowballs into a much bigger situation. Right. Um, it's something that's changed, thankfully, over the last few years, where we're not seeing as many prosecutions when it comes to driver's license cases. But when I first started, that was a, a constant flow of people coming in saying, you know, hey, such and such told me that you could help me get a driver's license. Right. And I spent a lot of my, my time helping people for little to no money. Right. Um, and just seeing that impact on how such a small thing can really make a huge difference in somebody's life, it, it gave me a, a respect for how how really the small things in the criminal justice right. system can affect people. Right. You know, um, I want to go back to the word justice. Mm-hmm. Um, is our criminal justice system just? Ooh. <laughs> in, in justice, I, I justice means different things to many different it does. people. Yeah. I, I believe that the. I believe that the concept, if followed through, is the most just system that we we have. Mm-hmm. Um, that everyone actually gets the chance to be told what they're being charged with, 
uh, in a criminal case, they get due process rights. They have a chance to have notice of what they're being charged with and a chance to be heard. And around the world, that's not something that you always see. And, And I think that the actual indictment that people go through when they're first starting a criminal court case mm-hmm. and actually having the written, this is what you're being charged with, and you've got on the books what that law is, what it means, it gives everyone a level playing field to start with. Right. It's not always level. Um, and I think that socioeconomic status comes into play there almost immediately. Right. Can you afford a private attorney? Can Do you have the public defender with all their associated uh, options, but the, uh, the benefits that come with the public defender's office. Right. Because the public defender's office in Davidson County is very good. Right. Uh, they have uh, investigators. They have all sorts of other options, but they have other things that they bring into that can help indigent people um the so going back to the the big question is the justice system just i believe that is the best system that we have really (laughs) i mean that's how because there's I i believe you know there's a there's a lot of barriers um and i think social and socioeconomic like situation is one of the barriers um, that uh, prevents people from you know being able to get to get justice right mm-hmm. um, from our from our criminal legal system currently. Um, one of those things that kind of deal with social economic things is is money bill, cash bill. Yeah. Right. Um, I'm still. I'm still kind of, you know, baffled sometimes by it. Um, just, just drastic ranges sometimes, not understanding uh, some of the statutes or how they come up with yep. those bail amounts, right? And you've been in, you know, general sessions in criminal court. You've you've seen you've seen you've seen a lot of these things happen. I'm sure. Um, and I want to go into I want to pivot into this about bail. Some people just believe either there should be some cash bill reform or you know just no cash bill at all right what are your thoughts on reform or just doing away with cash bill all altogether so i actually don't think we need to reform i think we need to really embrace the system that we've got okay and we need to go more in depth into what the system is so okay. tennessee code annotated 4011 uh, 115 and 118 are what we're dealing with here. So the 115 is the release on your own recognizance statute. And, and that's where we need to start. We need to determine whether or not this person is going to return what their history is. Can we just release them and trust that they'll come back to court? Because that is, in essence, what bail is. We need to make sure this community is safe, mm-hmm. but we also need to make it uh, make the bond amount set at only what is necessary to ensure the defendant returns to court. Right. We don't need to set, you know, exorbitant amounts that no one can make. We need to make sure that each defendant's bond is set individually to their situation. Right. Um, And I've said many times in my career there's a special place in heaven for grandmas because I've seen far too many grandmas 
come and make people's bonds with their entire retirement funds. Mm. And that is, it's almost heartbreaking. Right. But it is a situation where those, those individuals come back to court. Right. They're not going to, you know, leave grandma out, out to dry. Right. But I think that we need to look at, we need to take a, individual approach to each bond. We need to look at the factors. Uh, you know, is this person someone who's from Nashville, who's got deep ties in the community, has people coming forward mm-hmm. to vouch for them? Also looking at the other end, you know, what what is the crime they've been charged with? Right. How strong of a case is it? And then going one step further, does this person have... Uh, any indication from past acts, whether or not that they're going to show up, do they have a bunch of failure to appears, which would raise that risk? Right. Do they have they always been to court on time, or is this the first time they've ever been in trouble? Right. And, and we need to take that and actually individualize each and every bond determination to make sure that we're setting it to an appropriate amount, because a thousand dollars to me might not be the same as a $1,000 bond to you, might not be the same as a $1,000 bond to Bill Gates. Right. You know, and and we do need to tailor each bond to the individual. Right. Um, As potential criminal court judge, what role do you see you playing in the reshaping of what justice look in our courtrooms here in Nashville, because um, I, I, what has been, what has become clear to me is that one, a lot of people don't know like the like the power right mm-hmm. that that judges all over uh, have right. Um, a lot of people believe judges can make laws and policies <laughs> and control the police right, and, and so it's a lot of. Um, we just see that role. We say judge has power, right? Yep. Uh, which you all do. Um, but talk about like how how you would use that power in the, in the dynamics of that power to create a safer, better, equitable justice system for Nashville, potentially for eight years, almost a decade. So I think there's multiple different steps to that question. So. Right. At each different step of a judge's role in the criminal justice system, that power can be used for good, or it can be used to just rubber stamp things. Um, We need to look at from the arrest, like we were talking about with bond, to make sure that bonds are correctly set, and that power to be able to set bonds correctly can immensely change the outcome of someone's experience in the criminal justice system. Mm-hmm. Whether they can get out and actually talk with their attorney and have meetings with their attorney, go and do help in the research of a case with their attorney. Um, the actual groundwork that attorneys have to do uh, when it comes to doing research is a lot. Um, and unless you are someone of higher means and you can afford investigators, then being able to actually be out and assist can make a huge difference. Um, Then you've actually got the judge's power in allowing for each case to be heard and have everyone have their chance to be heard in court respectfully. Mm -hmm. And I think that the the fairness aspect that a judge brings is, is very much entwined with respect. 
I think that you have to have respect for the individuals, both the victim, victims and the defendants, and that you have to be able to give each person their day in court, right. and you have to give each person the opportunity to have justice. So when it comes to victims, there's a, the Tennessee Victims Bill of Rights uh, here in, in Tennessee that's codified, or codified in the Tennessee Constitution, Article 1, Section 35, uh, and each of the parts of that go towards where the victim has the right to be included. They might not have the actual right to choose what happens in a case, right. which many people uh, in many cases have felt like it's an injustice because a lot of times the victim might not agree with the outcome. Right. But that's where the district attorney's office needs to come in and be able to actually look at the factors and be able to determine whether or not they can make their case, what their chances are, and, and make a, a judgment call on their side. Right. But to be able to have the victim come in, be heard, mm-hmm. to talk with the district attorney and to be included in the system is very important. Right. Um, then you've got the, the defendant's rights defendant's right to be heard and the defendant's right to have a trial to be able to confront all the witnesses who are called to testify against them right and to have the right to have the state prove their guilt beyond reasonable doubt because when we get to that trial setting it's not the defendant's right our defendant's burden to prove that they're innocent Mm -hmm. that's one of the great things we have here in america is it's the state's burden to prove guilt and in, in as much as in as much as you see the judges you know sitting up there ruling on certain evidentiary things, the ability to actually get the questions in is something that the judge can have a lot of power over what the way the case goes right. and so being able to be a fair equal moderator to each case individually, I think, is very important to whether or not a just outcome happens. Right. Um, after a trial is over, you know, questions on whether, you know, if we go ahead and skip the dismissal or a finding of not guilty right. and go towards sentencing side, that's another hugely powerful place where a judge can influence mm-hmm. whether or not it's a just system. Right. And whether or not we need to look at uh, alternative, I'm sorry, alternative sentencing, Mm -hmm. uh, or if we need to look at actual incarceration is a big, big step. And so what what are your thoughts on alternative sentencing or alternative, quote unquote, punishment, right? Um, Because I've, I've heard many candidates, you know, whether it's, criminal court, general sessions, um, chancery, you know, just restorative justice, you know, mm-hmm. restorative justice, transformative justice, healing, right? Um, which, you know, it which it puts even attorneys, you know, in a different spot because from my understanding, if restorative means, you know, hey, me as maybe the person that has been harmful to a community member have to admit that I harmed somebody, yeah. right? That means I have to, to say, hey, I'm guilty of this, mm-hmm. right? And the victim has to accept that, right? Um, 
and I have to do whatever I can do to try to make that victim whole again. Um, how do you see that process in, in criminal court? Because we see a lot of restorative justice happening in our, you know, our, in our juvenile system, in, yep. in juvenile justice, um, but it hasn't made its way up yet into um, adult court here in Nashville. But that's something, you know, the DA has said um, that he would like to do, and all of the DA candidates that they would like to do. So. I think that there are some alternative sentencing that goes in towards restorative justice in place. I mean, uh, the mm -hmm. drug courts, for example, and mental health courts, they actually, I think, can make real change in both the defendants and the victims' right. lives. Um, uh, I'm a huge proponent of the drug courts. My grandfather starting the drug court system <laughs> here in Davidson County. Um, there's so many people who are addicted to opiates, heroin, cocaine, things mm -hmm. that grab onto their lives and control their lives. And you see when you're practicing law how that can spiral into a dependent relationship right. that leads to criminal activity. Mm -hmm. um, when you get into or when drug court, when someone's put into drug court, they help them break that chain, that cycle, that coming back in and right. actually find relief, not only for the people that have been harmed, right. uh, not only for, you know, if... if How does... There's so, so many ways people are harmed by drug-related crimes, but... So, but, but so, okay, so I'm going to throw out a okay. scenario. Yeah. Right, let's just say you know you're a criminal court judge. Okay. You know you you won this election, and somebody who is on heroin, right, has uh, co committed murder. Right. See. Why? Why? While they while he or she was on drugs and they they killed somebody. Right. Mm -hmm. Where does restorative justice can restorative justice happen in those type of situations? Hmm. Or do you, you know, or is it 51 years, you know, I'm pretty much a life sentence. And so, I mean, that's, you know, so what are your, so what are your thoughts on, on, our, on, and all of this doesn't happen right overnight, but do we eventually move to a justice slash legal system that is equipped and prepared to, 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 to take on those type of situations in a restorative way. And understanding that the victim has to, you know, or the, the well, in this case, the victim is gone, right? So the victim's family will have to be willing to also be a part of this, right? It's just not, hey, I want to do this, right? It has to be both sides. But is do you see, do you foresee a system that, that can move in that type of way? So... This is a hard question to uh, attack purely because I am limited right. to my answers under the the rules. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. We we don't want you. Yeah. We want you to stay within the rules. Uh, it can be simple. But so if you had from, I'm gonna make it. Try I, to make I, it. I can't from address a, things that could come right, from right. Me, so, so from for so from a scale from one to ten, <laughs> one to ten, right? If you had to pick ten, being most likely, yeah, I can see us moving towards this 
or it, it may be something that I would, you know, could possibly advocate for in the future. Or, you know, in one being, ah, I don't think, you know, this, I don't, in those cases, I don't think restorative justice could work. Where, where are you between one and 10 right now today? I'm, in, I'm always open-minded. Okay. So I, I remain open-minded. A five. That, that <laughs> if we can, you know, if we can have, hmm, I think that's really what I got to say is I, I remain open-minded. I, okay. I'm, I'm going to be grounded in reality. Right. Yeah, I'm going to yeah, remain yeah. open-minded to other options other than right. just incarcerating. I think okay. we've got to look at each situation okay. and each in each fact pattern. That, and I'm glad you said that because I think I, I think times have changed. Yeah. Uh, and I think, you know, community needs healing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I think it's time for 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 our, you know, our elected judges, you know, to get creative, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, I think you know, there's a lot of things that we see that just haven't worked, right? Correct. Um, and not just in, you know, Nashville in general, but just our, our whole system in the United States of when it comes to our criminal justice system, criminal legal system, right? Um, and so having judges um, that are thinking creatively, thinking differently, being open-minded to mm-hmm. things, at least trying, I think it's a big step, you know? Um, and if you all are willing to say, hey, yes, you know, let's 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 try this, or at least you know, or even voice, you know, uh, potential openness of opinions or perspectives about things, because you all are in there every day, you know. So you see how people are affected um, more than just the average person, because most people I don't think understand how a court works yeah. unless you participate in court watch or. Per- and, and exactly, and I, yeah. I think that most people will not have any real, Im- not impact any. Sorry, let me start over on that. <laughs> yeah, no, no. So I don't think most people will actually have an actual experience with the court system. Right. Uh, the vast majority of people, when it comes to the court system, it's the lowest point in their life if mm-hmm. they find themselves in the court. The, right. In the courts. Right. Um, and I think we have to remember that, and we right. have to realize that most people who come into the system don't understand what's going on. Right. Um, and you experience that a lot as an attorney where you will go in, you'll make arguments, mm-hmm. then you meet up with your clients outside the courtroom after it's done, and they'll say, what happened? Right. And they've been in there the entire time with you, and it's not, it's not that they can't understand what's going on. It's that it moves at a pace that if you're not familiar with it and if right. you're not involved with it on a, on a regular basis, mm-hmm. that you can easily get lost. I, I think that it's important for a judge to keep that in mind mm-hmm. and make sure that when we are addressing individuals that are in the courtroom, whether they be defendants or victims, that we pause and we make sure that they understand what's actually going on and that we take the time to communicate with people if they don't understand. Right. Um, you find yourself when you're fighting for people who have never been in the system having to spend a lot of extra time explaining things. Right. And they will ask questions that you have answered a million times before to other individuals. Mm-hmm. And you have to make sure that you have patience right. and that you're someone who's calm enough to listen to what's being said and address it. 
address it just like it's the first time you've ever addressed anyone. And, I, and this and this brings up, I think, a, a good segue into something I want to get into: mm-hmm. cultural competence. Okay. Right. You're a white man. Yeah. Um, in a system that black people, brown people, and poor people are affected by the most. Yeah. Um, and Nashville is a very diverse place, right? It is. Um, how do you plan to make sure that you can have that, that cultural competence to understand, like, different ethnicities, cultures um, that, you know, that may have a part into what happened and why they are in front of you in your courtroom? And I think that goes back towards patience. You have mm-hmm. to have patience and you have to be willing to listen to people. Um, and while the culture from it that you're in does mm-hmm. not impact whether or not the law applies to you, right. it can have a big impact on your understanding and your past experiences. And the past experience of your family can mm-hmm. have a huge impact on how willing of a participant you are in the system. Right. Um, I've, over the years, dealt with many witnesses that I wanted to come in to testify to things, but they did not trust that if they came into court, it would not somehow get turned on to them. Mm -hmm. Um, And and I think that's just something that we have to have patience. We have to listen and and understand the backgrounds of each person. I'm going to get straight to it, so. Mm -hmm. You know, what, what makes you different? Than the other candidates that you're running against for this seat, you know what 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 makes your ideas, what makes your platform, what makes your experience um, more valuable, right, uh, for the, for this seat? Um, because I think when you when we get to this stage of of elections, like everybody's good, right? Everybody's yeah. like excellent at what what you all do, right? And so, what separates you from your other opponents? I think it's it's going to come down. What separates us is the different experiences that we've had, and and I do not in any way think that they have less valuable experiences than right. me. I think each one of the candidates has very valuable input on what would make a good judge, and I think they would all agree that listening, respecting people, and following the law are the big tenets that everyone minimum should have. Right. Um, as far as what makes me the best candidate, um, I know how, there's a few different things, I know how the system works. Uh, in law school, I was an in-court clerk for Judge Angelita Blackshear Dalton here in Nashville for three years. Uh, after law school, I went and clerked for, I was a law clerk for Judge Brothers for two years. I know, I've seen how the trial courts work, I've seen how the general sessions courts work. I was also in the court clerk's office. I started in the bond office, the <laughs> lowest of the low in that office, and, and moved my way up. And I've seen how cases progress from the very beginning mm-hmm. all the way up through general sessions and all the way up to criminal. So I, I'm someone who has a full understanding of both the justice side and the administrative side. Mm-hmm. I think that brings something to the table that the other candidates just don't have. 
and it's not that they couldn't learn, it's just that they don't have that experience. Um, the second is, is going to be my just family experience with it. I right. can't really escape it when you're growing up around a bunch of attorneys. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, Four generations, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I've had people growing up walking down Third Avenue uh, in front of the old Norman Law Office walk up and say, hey, your grandfather who's standing next to me, you know, helped me out. Your great-grandfather, you know, was the, the big change actually that I found myself in a situation where I thought I was going to go to prison for years and years and years, and he stepped up, represented me, and I am not still in jail to this day only because of him. Right. Um, especially with grandfather, uh, spending time at the drug court and actually seeing how the people's, the, the participants' lives are, are changed mm -hmm. by being able to get treatment. Also finding different skills so when they come out of drug court, they're not just dropped on their feet, you know, good right. luck. Right. Uh, and, and they're able to be transitioned back into society where they belong. Right. No one belongs in jail. Right. I think that we need to really remember that. Right. Um, Speaking of like no one belongs in jail, right? You know, um, ninety percent of you know people come back home, right? Yeah. Ninety percent come back home. Um, I would personally like to, you know, essentially, you know put judges out of a job right yeah. I, I want to essentially you know not want people to have to go to court at all right and that is getting in front of a lot of the the things that um are residual effects of why people you know commit crimes or do things that that land them in a courtroom yeah and, and i think that's no one wakes up in the morning and says I'm going to be a criminal today. I mean, I'm, there might be those people, but I've never experienced that person. Right. Um, no one wants to go to jail. Right. People, most people who end up in jail find themselves in situations where other things have contributed to where they found themselves either pushed into that or making a decision that they should not have made. Right. And so when I say no one belongs in jail, I'm not saying that, you know, their acts don't make jail what should be the consequence. I'm, right. I'm saying that no one, I don't believe that there is a, a person who, well, there are people who, but I, I believe that most people aren't inherently bad. Right. And that I agree with you, if, if it would be a wonderful day, especially as a father, if judges and the whole criminal justice system was no right. longer needed right that would be the best day of my right. life and i would find a new job <laughs> right right no no I, and, and 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 i personally think because again judges see the issues the things that that that, that are happening right in these people's mm -hmm. lives and so therefore i think you all could be pivotal and saying, okay, 
I keep re- hearing these recurring stories and situations that people are experiencing mm-hmm. through their youth or through their adolescent youth life that ends them up here, right? Um, do you see um, a place where judges can can be more on the on the front end than than the back end, right? Do you see a place where you use your voice to say, "Hey, I keep getting people that commit crimes that fit this type of." Uh, socioeconomic background, uh, lack these resources, mm-hmm. and I know these are like uh, uh, residual effects of why they are here, mm-hmm. right? Do you see a role where judges can can play a part in that and in helping get some of those resources taken care of on the front end where they don't have to see you on the back end? So I think. If it's, if it it's legal, the, yeah. <laughs> it might not be the judges right. that I see on the front end, but I do believe that as a society we need to look into getting more resources in other places, especially right. So my, my wife is a school psychologist. Okay. Um, and talking with her, I always hear, you know, the sad situations that people have found themselves in mm-hmm. and how addressing mental health issues Addressing mental health issues, addressing socioeconomic issues of people who just need a helping hand up. Right. Um, and addressing not just drug issues, but addressing how drugs can affect entire families. Right. Are things that if we address them at a young age, I think we can vastly reduce the use of the criminal justice system. Yeah, and I, and I would love to see that in society. Unfortunately, right. I don't think judges are the correct answer to it, but I do believe that I as a society, I we should push that. Yeah, I don't think judges are like the the correct answer, but yeah. I think you all's voices could 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 catalyst mm-hmm. some responses, right? Yeah, because you all see it every day. And if a judge says, "Hey, I'm seeing people that have um, that that are in cities that." That they don't have, or communities that that are food deserts and yeah. um, don't have uh, uh, employment opportunities, um, and therefore, like, hey, you know, we should address these things. And if judges say that, I think that hits different than if I say it, right? Because again, like, those are residual effects are, are you know, hunger, poverty, lack of resources, and job opportunities that could lead people down a path to make decisions they don't really want to but feel like they don't have any other decisions to make yeah. in order to take care of themselves their family or loved ones whatever and i agree and I, I believe that i mean i have seen people who have been charged with theft for stealing literally the items from the metro public schools checklist of what you need to come for the first day wow um and and it's something that i think we should address as a society right um as a parent that's kind of heartbreaking (laughs) yeah yeah no no I, i i bet i bet um I want to go back to this a little bit and, and just ask you, you know, what, 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 why, why do you think this is so, and what can we, can, what can we do about our system to fix this? Um, black and brown folks, okay. you know, um, are just, you know, heavily affected more than anybody else 
in the United States um, by a criminal legal system. Um, why do you think that is when it's proven that, you know, black and brown folks don't commit any more deadly or harmful crimes, sell any more drugs or any of those things um, than any other, you know, ethnic or racial group in the United States, right? Um, how, how can we address that? You know, how can we call that out? Um, do you see yourself as potential judge? And what do you, what do you see your role in that as well? Um, because it's a thing that we know it's there, right? Mm -hmm. it's, 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 it's so much data now. We know it exists, but it continues to happen. And um, our criminal um, justice system, our criminal legal system just continues to perpetuate what we've known to be true. And how do we combat that? Hmm. Yeah, it's deep this conversation. So we're gonna we're gonna get deep. That's a very deep question. And, so, I, and these are things I think community wants to know from from our future judges. Yep. You know. And I know you know you've been in general sessions, you know, criminal court, and so. Hmm. You have a you have a you have a unique lens and perspective on these things. I do think that we have to address it on multiple fronts. Okay. So on, on policing, if you put twice as many police into a neighborhood that's majority black and brown families, I mean, and you tell them you need to make arrests and that there's crime here that you need to solve, I mean, what do you expect will happen? Right. Um, but that's not the only answer to that. Right. I think there are societal changes that need to happen, not just legal changes. Because as a judge, you can't go in and say, you know, I'm going to treat one group differently. Exactly. And you have to treat each person. And that, that's, that's my big thing. And I've, I've always, from day one, tried to practice by the golden rule. How would I want to be treated if I was sitting in that spot? Right. And, and I would want to bring that to the bench and treat each person as an individual who comes in front before me. And that's a, I mean, it's a very difficult question to answer. Um, yeah. But as a judge, you have to look at the facts of whether or not a crime has been committed. Right. And you have to be able to follow the law. Right. Whether or not you think that it's... Do you, do you see... Inherently unfair towards certain groups. Right. Or not inherently unfair, but if it's over-policed to some mm -hmm. groups. Right. You can't... You, you still have to be fair to right. what's in front of you. Right. And I think there needs to be... Right. I, need, I think there needs to be whole societal changes when it comes to that a lot of times um you know when you when you go into a courtroom you know the judge sets the tone mm -hmm. right um they set the tone on you know how a person feels coming in yeah um you know how they feel it might go their way if they're going to be listened to 
um, um, so as a potential judge for eight years, what is that? What is that tone? What is that culture that you would like to set when people enter your courtroom? I want to have. Sorry. No, that's all right. <laughs> Make sure this is. <laughs> I want to have. I want to bring a lot of respect into the courtroom, um, and, and on multiple levels. I want to be respectful to everyone and treat everyone with dignity mm-hmm. and the respect that they deserve as humans. Right. But also, I think one thing that we need to really look at is, especially now that we're setting dockets that are only 25, 30 people on a docket, we could either set more dockets, because we are behind. Uh, COVID has put us in a situation where we've got a backlog of cases that need to be addressed. And so we can either do, you know, if we have 25 people one day, what's the rush? We can go at a pace where everyone feels like they're listened to. Right. And everyone is listened to. I mean, that's something that I would want to have in my courtroom. I Mm -hmm. I wouldn't want to have anyone feeling like I was not listened to. Like that judge, like... I did not get justice because that judge wanted to be out of here by noon. Right. Um, and so I think, you know, we could either, there's so many things that we need to do. Um, catching up with cases, I, I think, is something that we need to address. Mm-hmm. Um, and I see no reason why we couldn't have a second docket every day. Right. It, but at the same time, what is the rush? Right. If we need to have, you know, if, if we could, before COVID became a, a, as big of an impact on the court system, mm-hmm. we were having many, 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 many more cases than we do now right. each day. So if we're only doing uh, smaller dockets, we could do two dockets, and each docket could be given more time. Right. There, there's no, there should not be a rush for justice mm-hmm. because justice is not only for the victim but it's also for the defendant right and we need to look at that Hmm. on many levels yeah yeah it's it's, it's complex because justice not only means getting your time in court not only means being heard but it also means actually having your case heard which is something that we're behind on right and, and I think that having your day in court, being able to be heard is very important. But at the end of the day, I want anyone who comes into my court to be able to say, I was heard. Okay. You, um, as a lawyer, you know, you were appointed by judges, yep. right, to cases, right? Quite a few. Quite a few, right? <laughs> and... Um, I've heard this, you know, kind of this kind of narrative topic come up, you know, mm-hmm. on, you know, the relationship between, you know, judges and um, appointed attorneys. Right. Mm-hmm. That's not from the DA's office. Correct. Right. Do you see um, there could be a conflict of interest there if, um, you know, Maybe I'm already off to the wrong foot with a judge. (laughs) And then that same judge that I may feel already is against me is going to now appoint me my attorney. Um, 
is there alternatives to that? Are there checks and balances um, to those type of situations that, that as a judge, you could make sure that that client is being represented properly and wholly uh, and is, is being listened to but by that appointed attorney? Yeah. Um, so it's a, it's a difficult question and it's a difficult answer because of a few basic tenets. So okay, break it down in, to in, us. in the in the legal system. So I can't if I'm if I'm the judge of a case, I cannot have ex parte communication with a client. Right. But it is not something that is completely not possible to address. Uh, it's hard for a judge to be able to have like status checks. Is your attorney doing a good job? How are you able to communicate with them outside of the courtroom? Right. But I think that uh, actually being able to, when you show up for court, you know, maybe that being a question to ask, you know, in open court, have you actually had contact with your attorney? Right. What happens then if you appoint me an attorney mm -hmm. and I come to court and say, hey, judge, my attorney, I feel, is not representing me properly. He or she is not listening to me, not communicating with me properly. I don't feel like I'm being properly represented and enough of, to get the justice I feel like I deserve. Is that, what, where does that put, what does that put judges? Where would that put you potentially in a case like that, if that's communicated with, because this is again, this is potentially a judge, uh, attorney, excuse me, that was a that, that you appointed. And I think we need to look at who's appointed, mm -hmm. uh, whether or not their caseload has gotten to a point where they cannot spend adequate time. Because I think being able to spend adequate time with each defendant is necessary to be a good attorney. Right. Uh, if you are taking 250, 350, 450 clients a year, your time is extremely limited for right. each defendant that you're working with. Um, and so I think that if something like that was brought to my attention, I would need to inquire more into is, is your caseload to a point as an attorney that you can't handle this? Right. Is that something, and this is somebody who just doesn't know, right? Is that something that 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 happens like a, does a judge on the front end evaluate a potential appointed attorney and say what are they do they have the availability and the time to adequately represent this client and two are they are they are they are they versed are they are they you know are they the right person for this scenario right um knowledgeable and in 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 um yeah, just knowledgeable about the situation or about the circumstances that they can properly be the best attorney for this for this client. Does that happen on the front end? So or should it happen on the front end? It is a situation where uh, most of the time the attorneys are asked by the judge, I've got an appointment, can you take this appointment? Okay. Um, and then it's usually up to that attorney to say, you know, to basically make an honest judgment of their self. Right. Do I have the ability to take on this case? Okay. Because I have not run across a judge that has been upset with me for saying, I can't take this right now. Right. And I'm telling that to a lot of judges <laughs> right now, right. more than I ever would, uh, before, uh, because my time is so limited. Uh, now, 
And I, I think having the, and that's, it's an attorney by attorney right. self-assessment. Right. Because there are attorneys that have 250 clients a year. There right. are attorneys that have 100 clients a year. There's attorneys that have 50 clients a year. Right. And it is, what is your comfort level? What are you able to mm-hmm. actually take on? Okay. And, and so I think while the court, if situation gets out of hand, does need to be able to take a step in and say, hey, can you actually represent this client? Right. But on the front end, I think it's generally up to the attorney mm-hmm. to have a self-assessment of whether or not they have the ability, the time, and the competence to take over a case. As, a, as potentially as judge, if you notice a court-appointed attorney does not have the competence, do you step in? Do you I, say, "Hey, hold on, let's what, let's take a recess"? What, and, and, and competence is on the, on the ethical side. Right. So attorneys have to abide by the rules of ethics. Right. And if you are not competent to take a case, you should not be taking a case. Right. Um, and so that is an ethical reason that we would need to right. address with the attorney to say, "Look, if you're not competent to take right. this, then you need to accept." But that would be an ethics violation. And you right. need to let us know so we can let you withdraw right. and find competent counsel. Right. What do you think has been some of the, the more valuable things you've learned during your tenure this far that prepares you to be a judge? The importance of patience. Um, and I, I think far too often... I see attorneys who are saying things like, oh, I've seen one marijuana case, I've seen them all. If I've seen one domestic violence case, I've seen them all. And they just lump everything in to it's all the same. Mm -hmm. And that's just unacceptable to me. I think that you have to be patient to listen to the individual. I think I've said this a few times now. Yeah, no, no, (laughs) But it's all individual-based. You have to have that patience and that calm to listen, to actually hear what they're saying, be open to what they're saying. Completely separate from all the other cases that you've heard that mm-hmm. might be so incredibly similar to this case, but you need to be able to listen to them and to that individual story and competently address them. And I think that the judge has the same obligation to each defendant as an attorney would right. to actually hear the facts of the case. All right all the facts before making their decision. Being open to, especially with changing technology and, mm-hmm. and new crimes and, and new charges that can come up because of changing technology, right. to being, I think the judge needs to be competent and learn along with all of us right. and hear the full story um, of what has happened and what the charges are be able to make a full determination of whether or not the elements were actually met for each charge mm-hmm. and to be able to follow the law. Eight years is a long time. It is. A long time. I, and I have a mixed feelings about it. So eight years okay. is a long time. So you, when a, when a judge is elected, right. they're put in for an extremely long amount of time. Right. A lot of things can change over eight years. It could be a blessing or a curse for exactly. the community. <laughs> but I think one of the 
beauties of a longer term is you don't have a judge that's beholden to public opinion. Right. They can, over that eight years, step back and realize that they can make the hard choices without having to worry if in one year they're going to be having somebody run against them. Right. And it might not be popular choices that they make all the time. Right. But they have to be able to focus on the right choice. What does eight years look like with you potentially as a judge in criminal court? I would hope that and expect for myself that it would be prosperous for the community, that it would be me giving my all to make sure that injustice is avoided and that justice prevails in every case. What do you think um, Nashville is a growing city, right? Um, I think we, I think yeah I think we I think it still may be somewhere maybe eighty people still moving here a day something I know at one point it was like a hundred hundred and four oh, yeah. people moving here a day. Um, what do you think a grown city like Nashville needs most um, to happen within our criminal justice criminal legal system to keep it safe and equitable too, equitable justice as well. Hmm. So as far as the A lot of different things that we need yeah no this is um, this you got time you got yeah. time you know like i think that we yeah. need to address i think one of the big things that we need to address right now is is mental health issues okay i, I think that uh, there's no shame in admitting you have mental health problems and i feel that so many people have that idea that they're that if i seek help that I will be shunned. Right. And I think mental health issues account for a lot of the situations that people find themselves in the criminal justice system. Right. And I think that there's a lot of great programs that are out there to help, but I think that there's a lot of people who are, they only seek that help when they find themselves in the criminal justice system. And I think we right. need to be open to giving that. Right. If someone has found themselves in the criminal justice system, especially in sentencing and pleas. So if they take a plea and they've got mental health issues, I think we need to actively address their situation. Right. And see if there's a way that we as a society and as a justice system can come in and help that person. Mm -hmm. Can we get them, uh, you know, some kind of caseworker that can help get their life in order? Mm -hmm. Can we get them assistance with, uh, be it, uh, a steady living environment. Right. Can we get them assistance uh, in, in other ways that will help them find the stable place in the community? Because mm -hmm. I think that it's just one of the biggest issues I think that we've got right now is that as a community, there are people who need help right. that are either afraid to ask for it are unwilling to ask for it because they're afraid that they'll be shunned. Right. 
you you made me come up with a with a with another question I, that that I wish I would have asked earlier, but I'm gonna ask now. Just what what you were saying about um, please, mm-hmm. right? And um, I can't remember what the source I was reading at, but um, it was uh, it was like a, a crazy a percentage of uh, of people that you know because of social economic background and a lack of resources um that knew that they was innocent right but take the plea but take the plea right is it a way how that we can combat those type of situations just because hey i don't have the money to fight this case um i don't have the money to to make bail and you know i I can either take this plea for five or ten years, or, or possibly go to trial, but not be able to afford the the representation I believe I deserve or need in order to prove my innocence, and get thirty years instead. Yeah, and I think that's, oh, that is a very hard situation. Um, I know that far too often, I've seen people take plea deals because they will get out of jail. Mm-hmm. And the offer, especially with, with misdemeanors, is, you know, take a class. You take this class, we'll dismiss the case, and you'll get out of jail today. And they jump at it. Right. Whether or not they're, they're innocent, it doesn't matter to them. Getting out of jail is the importance. Right. Um, and then they find themselves in an even worse situation because now they're out of jail. They've agreed to take a 52-week class, or they've agreed to take some class that costs money. Right. And they don't have that money. Right. And they have instantly set themselves up for failure. And it's so it is something that I think we need to address. How do we address that? It's so hard. <laughs> it is so hard. How do we that's what we want to know the answers and to the test. How how do we address that? Is it is it is it more clarity? I don't know on the front end saying, hey, is it more checks and balances like, hey, this is a fifty two week, this is a year program. Yeah. Can you do, one? Do you believe that you're innocent? And I think right. that we need to, especially for those situations, we right. need to ask the questions and be serious with people. Right. With with saying, hey, this is a 52 week program. This program, you know, the first first week you're out of jail, you need to sign up for it, and it's going to cost you fifty something dollars to get the booklet in for the first class. Then every single week thereafter, it's going to cost you twenty five dollars. Do you have the ability? Where are you working? Right. Where Where are you living? You know, right. are you do you have the ability to make that happen? Transportation. All of yeah. It. Yeah. And it's if they say no, I think we need to look into it deeper because we don't need to say you know because some people that is the plea that they need. That's right. that's that they might be guilty, they might right. be innocent, but and while some people will just be taking it to get out of jail, some people. Well, that is the best plea bargain right. for the situation they're in. Right. But we still need to give them the same respect to say, are we setting you up for failure? Right. And I think that, especially with programs that the Sheriff's Department and other actual programs that are offered that we can waive costs mm-hmm. for, we need to do that. Right. Um, uh, We don't need to fail in our 
treatment of people just because of their socioeconomic status, just because of their situation. And I think that while it doesn't answer the bigger question for felony situations where, you know, I'm looking at an offer of probation where I get out of jail today and I feel like I'm innocent, Right. but if I want to fight this, I'm going to be in jail for the next three years until my trial gets right. heard. And Hell of a predicament to be in. It is, and I think that's where we need to go and have a better look at the actual bond factors mm-hmm. and make sure that we're setting them to a level that will make right. sure people come back Right. But also make sure that everyone has that chance to not be sitting in jail. Right. And I mean, there are people who will be of very significant charges mm-hmm. and who will find themselves unable to make bond. And that is just a, it's a very, it can be a very sad side effect of the system. Um, but we have to remember safety. We have to make sure that we're not, you know, just saying, hey, let all the murderers out because it's, you know, we don't want to be unfair. Right. Uh, And we just have to actually look at each individual case to make sure we're not failing people. But we have to remember that it is, it's an imperfect system. Right. It is. Self, um, I really enjoyed this conversation, um, but I want to I want to give you a chance to, um, you know, give our, our listeners, our viewers, anything else that maybe I didn't cover with any of my questions during this interview um, that you want to leave, you know, Nashville with. Hmm. I know it's different. I know you know y'all usually get these two or three minutes, and then yeah. you know. But no, nah, this is this is this is a time you know. I, and this, I think these are like, you know, um, these conversations you know are not only impactful for for your platform for your campaign, but for the listeners to for be listeners. able to 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 really you know listen and concretely like not have to battle for you know you they have to battle for your voice or a, a, an opponent's voice. It's like. You know, they get a chance to really focus in and, and really hear you clearly. Yeah. Um, and the thing, so I want to give you a chance if there's anything that we didn't get to talk about or address that, um, that you know, that you want to go ahead and let you know, the viewers and watchers know, uh, the listeners know. I think I will say if, if I am elected, which I sure hope to be, uh, I will make sure that each case that comes before me, like I've said so many times, is given the individual time and attention that it deserves, but that I also make sure that I'm being fair, and that means being uh, not only open to listening to the full case and open-minded when I'm listening, because as, as we've talked about, there are different backgrounds for each person, and right. my background will be different than other people's, and I need to be able to listen and actually accept the situation that each person finds them in and right. what brought them to the court. Right. You know, whether it's good or bad, I need to listen. Right. Um, then I need to go into each case, and I will go into each case, and actually treat the individual as an individual. 
then I will follow the law. Right. And I will evolve with the law. And we've got changes happening every single day. Right. And it's something that we can't just sit by and, you know, say, oh, well, I know the law now, so I'm good. We have to continue to learn. We have to continue to research and, right. and hopefully as the laws change, hopefully for the better, mm-hmm. we can make better decisions in these cases. And, and right. I think as we see society change, hopefully we'll find a more fair system. Right. Um, but I can promise everyone listening that I will do everything in my power to seek justice in every single case. And I think more importantly to me uh, is I will seek to avoid injustice. I, I really appreciate that. So um, how can how can people support you in your campaign? I, um, so if you go to www.votenorman.com, uh, there's some information on there about how you can get involved, and I would implore you to check that out. Self, I appreciate your time. Um, and I really appreciate this. No, and whatever, whatever happens, whatever the outcome is, you know, I definitely want to bring you back because okay. I don't think people could can can know too much about what's happening in our courtroom, right? Absolutely. Um, because you know, hopefully, you don't want people there. But <laughs> like, if you do end up there, right, you can at least you know be knowledgeable about how our court system works. That's where your tax dollars are going. You should at least know some about it, <laughs> right? Um, and so, thank you for your time. Um, and um, good luck on May 3rd. Thank you. You know, and um, yeah, thanks.